You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. In preparation for you know Easter and a time in, in all of the world of Christendom when we're thinking about the death and resurrection of Jesus and the process you know, that the Gospels take us through to get there, um, especially for us, I, you know, our church, and I've been here a long time, some of you have been here with me for a long time, and others of you have come recently, more recently. But um, my sense with our church over the years is that we all have experience through our upbringing with what religion can do. Am I right? Some form of institutionalized religion we grew up in. And so part of why we're talking about this is because we want to help maybe tra- uh, train us to think a little differently about the idea of religion. And uh, we've been looking at the life and teachings of Jesus because Jesus does stuff that, isn't, that doesn't fit in that category of what we grew up defining as religion. In fact, nowadays, um, we find that this dichotomy between Jesus and the church even is growing bigger and bigger, where as people get turned off or start looking at the institutional church as something they don't need in their lives anymore... But if you ask those very same people, what do you think about Jesus? They'll tell you, I think he's really great. He's cool. I'm cool with Jesus. I'm just not cool with the institutional church. And so um, I'm, we're here to equip you, all right? Because when you go out there, we don't want you to just, I mean, we want you to invite people to church, but to remember as you invite people to church, you're inviting people into relationship with you. You are. If you claim to be a Christ follower, you are Jesus' church. And we just happened to be on Sunday morning, his church gathered. But when we leave this place, you're still the church, scattered all over this South Bay or wherever you come from. And you're, as Pastor Janet was saying, you're to be on mission with God. You're a missionary in disguise, okay? So tell the person next to you, be a missionary in disguise as whatever you do during the week. Make sure it's consistent. So what I want to speak with you about today is... An episode in the life of Jesus, we'll skip over this, and I'm going to skip right to the point, that we see a certain kind of worship happen. See, religion generates a certain kind of worship, and the kind of worship that institutional religion generates It may be full of rules and regulations. It may encourage you to be a good person, but it doesn't really have the power to set your soul free. Uh, Let me put it another way. Religion has the power to tell you to do what you already know is right to do, but it doesn't have the power to, to actually help you do what you know is right to do. Does that make sense? That's called the power of the law. The law really doesn't have any power to give you the authority and strength to actually perform as a good person. It can can show you just how bad you are, and it can set a standard that you have to live up to. But Jesus comes on the scene, and, and in the story of Jesus, what we see is he completely operates out of the box of institutional religion, and he adds to the mix what institutional religion could never add, and that is the power to actually live a holy and righteous life. 
you can live holy. Did you know that? And I told you this already. I'm just reminding you. You want holiness more than you think you do. And sometimes the road there requires that we worship Jesus in a certain way. Because uh, the worship we're going to talk about today, when we worship Jesus in the way you're going to see today, it puts you in the position and the posture of receiving from him all that you really need. And uh, this story comes from um, a very familiar passage. It's the story where Jesus crosses the lake and he meets a demon-possessed man. And I want to share with you today an insight that I've had over this passage that I, I hadn't really seen that clearly. Um, I've taught on this before, but I want to share it with you because I think that God has some of you here just to hear what I have to say. And there's something in this message that's, that's here for you. So are you open to it? Say yes, pastor. Yes. All right. Hey, listen, if you want to be engaged and you want to receive all that God has for you, you sometimes have to engage your, your heart and mind and your voice, right? So it's okay to say, amen. It's, it's okay to say, yep, that's good, right? It's okay to get engaged and to be vocal about your agreement when it comes to hearing something of the Word of God, because what you're saying is, Lord, I'm open to that. I'm saying yes to that, okay? All right, so let's be engaged as we listen to the Word of God today. It starts in Mark chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your Bibles on your cellular device, turn off the ringer and open it up to the Bible app that you use. And it says, they went, this is Jesus and his disciples, across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, Jesus had just come from a, a really pretty um, effective crusade that he had been holding on one side of the Lake of Galilee, the Jewish side. And he had preached to probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people from the boat of these fishermen that he had called to be disciples. And he's teaching them. It was really powerful. It was really awesome. But at the end of the day in the evening... Jesus decides to go to the other side of the lake. In fact, he tells his disciples in chapter 4, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, let me tell you something about Jesus. When he says, we're going to the other side of the lake, guess what? You're going you're gonna to get to the other side of the lake. All right? So tell the person next to you, you're going to get to the other side. You're going to get to the other side. Yeah, because Jesus said it. All right? Because we know what comes next, right? We know what comes next. Jesus says, we're going to the other side. That's the will of God. God, the God who is, is very, very much man, who is very, very much God, the man who was God named Jesus said, this is my will. We're going to the other side of the lake. No matter what kind of storms come up, we're going to get there. You need to encourage your heart. If Jesus has said it, it's going to happen. If God's promised it, it's going to happen. It may not happen the way you want it to happen. It may not happen and it may not make your bank account bigger. So you thought I was going to go word of faith on you there, huh? No, no, I wasn't going to do that. It, it may happen and it, things may actually get worse when he says, we're going to the other side of the lake. Because what happens next? They get in the boat and then there's a storm. And then the disciples are going, the disciples totally forgot that Jesus said we're going to make it to the other side of the lake. And they get caught up in the storm. In fact, they say to Jesus, what's Jesus doing? Do you remember the story? When, the, when the, the boat starts to rock and the, the waves and the wind and the rain. And what's Jesus doing? Right? He's snoring away. And the disciples come up to him. And it's funny because they don't say, Jesus, wake up, wake up. We need some help here. There's a storm. They don't say that. You know what they say? This is how they lead. They go, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Go ahead and read it there in that passage in Mark chapter 4. Don't you care we're going to drown? 
This is like, my, it's like if my daughter came to me one, more, one afternoon and said, Dad, I'm really, really hungry. Can you make me something to eat? Okay? That's different than if she would have come to me and said, Dad, don't you care that I'm starving? Don't you care that, that I've had nothing to eat all day? It's a different place, right? Something deeper is going on. The disciples here, Mark takes time to tell us and make sure we know that these disciples that are in the boat with Jesus are faithless, they're full of doubt, they're panicking, they're worried, and they ask a really absurd question. Don't you care, Jesus? Oh, of course he cares. He's right in the boat with you. How can you ask that kind of question? Well, it's because these disciples, they have no clue what's going on, and they are more worried about the situation than about worshiping Jesus. So, that's the disciples. Can any of you relate? I can relate. I can totally relate. I just come to God. I, sometimes I question God's care. Some of you, you're not even, you don't struggle over whether God exists or not. So what if he exists? The question really is, if he exists, does he care? And Jesus is about to show us just how much he really, really cares. So Jesus gets up. Wind, waves, be still. In fact, the language he uses is the same kind of language he would use if he was rebuking a demon. That's the strength of the language Jesus uses when he speaks to the wind and the waves, which gives me a clue to the story that's about to unfold. Maybe there is something of the enemy's power that is trying to keep Jesus from getting to the other side. Ever consider that? That there is a target on your back when you said, I choose to follow Jesus. And if you don't take that into consideration, life might just might, might not make a whole lot of sense. Like today, all right? I'm just, being, I'm just being frank with you. Today in our first service, everything that, went, that, that could have gone wrong technologically went wrong. With the sound system, the worship team's up here going, I, I can't hear. How am I supposed to play? And I'm standing back there smiling. Just keep going. Just keep going. Because I, we take all of this into consideration when we, when we press in to worship Jesus. You've got to believe that the devil doesn't like that stuff, man. Come on. So don't be surprised if Jesus says you're going to make it to the other side of the lake. And then the next thing that happens is something really bad. Don't question the care of Jesus. Trust him as you're sailing across that lake. Jesus calms the storm. It's completely calm. And his disciples are going, whoa, who is this guy? We're going to make it to the other side, guys. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. I can't believe what we're going to experience on the other side of the lake, man. We just came from a huge crusade over there in Capernaum on that other side of Lake Galilee. Hundreds and thousands of people, man. It's so awesome. And we're going to, man, I can't, I can't wait to see who's going to be waiting for us on the other side. Can you imagine? It might be like even 10,000 people on the other side. We're going to do another crusade. I can see his disciples thinking like that. But what happens when they get to the other side? It says here, when Jesus got out of the boat, so they got to the other side, right? A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Not exactly the greeting the disciples were expecting, but the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So here they are. They get out. Now, notice who gets out of the boat? 
How many of them were in the boat? About, th- yeah, good guess, Edgar. 13. 12 disciples in Jesus. Well, how come? So here's what I think happened. See, they left late in the evening from the other side. So by the time they arrived to the other side of the lake, it should take maybe two, three hours, maybe more because of the storm, it's still dark. There's nice early morning fog happening right now on that, that shoreline. And the disciples, as they, they row the boat right up to shore, they do their thing trying to get the boat anchored. Jesus gets out of the boat, but as he gets out of the boat, there's no crowds. You know who's there? Some crazy dude running naked, having cut himself scarred all over his body. This is the night of the living dead, folks. This is, you know, it's a zombie land, man. And so, so the disciples decide to stay in the boat, and Jesus gets out of the boat. And I love this because, you know, Jesus steps into a completely different world. He just came from a world where he was preaching to hundreds of people, and that world that he was preaching to, the society that he was preaching to, they divided reality into two, at least two categories, the clean and the unclean. That's how it was in Jesus' world. You know, you got to, there's ritual purity, and there's certain things you got to do or not do in order to stay ritually uh, pure. But if you have certain conditions, then you would be considered unclean. So look at the world that Jesus comes from, which says, this is pure and that's impure, and then he steps into a world that is totally unclean according to the standards of the society he just came from, of the people he was just preaching to. He meets, when he steps out of the boat into this world, he meets unclean spirits that are living inside an unclean, the Gentiles were considered unclean just because of their race, okay, by Jews. So he was, for all intents and purposes... He was in being encountered by an unclean Gentile man who was living in an unclean habitation. It said he lived among the tombs. You know, there was a law in the, in, um, the Torah that basically said if you touch anything that has to do with a dead body or anything that has to do with a cemetery or anything that has to do with the dead, you're unclean. This dude didn't just touch something that was unclean. He lived in a place that was unclean, an unclean habitation, working amongst people who had unclean professions, you're going to see in a little bit that there was a, I didn't even know there was, uh, that pigs could graze, (laughs) but you're going to see in the story that there were pigs, like 2,000 of them, grazing on the hillside. Pigs are an unclean animal to Jews, and when you have 2,000 of them, that means you run a business that deals with pigs, raises pigs. So, an unclean profession. Jesus steps into an unclean, impure world that is tormented, that is ruled by darkness and death and despair. We begin to see it in this particular man. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Just on this point alone, this is the beauty. He crosses the lake and steps into an unclean world. Religion doesn't do that. What religion says is, if you have on any of this uncleanness in your life, you cannot access God. you got to get cleaned up before you can access Jesus, God, right? Jesus says, no, no, I'm not going to wait for you to try to figure out how to get clean to access me. I'm going to head on to where you are in your unclean world, in your impure situation, in your despair, in your darkness, and I'm going to step into that world even though it scares my disciples. And he hears the cry of one unclean man. 
And he says, I'm on the way. Religion will tell you these things disqualify you. Jesus looks at this and he sees the, you know, we're talking about, I will call upon the Lord. The, the passage Pastor Janet read today from one, Psalm 107, some of you need to revisit that. People in desperate situations that got there because of their own dumb choices. The promise was they called upon the Lord and he showed up. He showed up. He's going to show up for you. Tell the person next to you, he's going to show up for you. He will. It's the promise. If Jesus could cross the lake, would suffer the storm, could suffer disciples that accused him of not caring and show up for one man who is in a dark place, how much more will he not show up for you? This man, we get a clue from what Mark tells us as to the tragedy of his life. He, it says, would cry out constantly. You know what that looks like? It's day and night, help! Help! Help me! Help me! I'm trying. It's as, as horrific of a vocal cry that you could, and it says here that not only did he cry out, it says he cut himself with stones. Cutting is nothing new, folks. It's right here. In fact, you might say that people nowadays who cut themselves, they don't do it because they're experimenting. Well, we got psychiatrists in the house. We know there's a deeper problem when stuff like that starts to happen. We know there's probably some trauma in their past. But listen, if anything that that act is, it's a cry for help. It's sending a message. You know, like husbands, when your wife nags you constantly, and it's not the normal nagging because you just make dumb decisions as a husband. <laughs> that was for you women, okay, wives. It's just like, off, it's like abnormal. It's unusual. It's like you used up your 50,000 words and you're still nagging. What's going on? That, husbands, is your wife sending you a message. Got it? <laughs> when your um, son or daughter isn't doing well in school and it's out of the normal, right? They're not focused and you see it affecting their grades. They are sending a message, right? Something else is going on. This man was crying out for help. Help, 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 help. And all people would do to him is put him in chains. Let's try this chain. Oh, he broke that one. Let's try a bigger one. Give me a bigger one. Oh, it's not going to work. He broke that one too. No, no, no. I don't need a chain. I need help. And so they say, well, the chains won't work. We don't know how to help you. So maybe if we, we can solve this problem, the problem that you represent, and just ostracize you. So we're going to brutalize you first, and then we're going to ostracize you. And then, you know, this is the modern-day version of institutionalization. We don't know what to do. 
They're an institutional basket case. We've tried putting chains on them we think will contain them and make them respectable members of society. They've broken the chains, and all that's left to do is to ostracize, to cut them off, to alienate them from the very thing they probably need the most. The man's been dehumanized. And watch this. To add to the dehumanizing, he gets demonized. Help. Let me put chains on you. That's not working. Get out of here. Go live in the tombs. Don't ever come back here. You see? And so the man tries to send the message another way. Maybe that'll work. Maybe that'll send the message. You know, the fascinating thing about this story is none of the people who ostracized the man really heard his cry. There was one person across the other side of the lake that heard his cry. Oh, Jesus has superpowers, man. He's got super hearing. That's awesome. He's my hero. I don't know how he figured it out. I think Jesus, the evidence in the text shows that I think Jesus, the only reason he sailed to the other side of this lake was for him. If you were the only one in torment, folks, if you were the only one in darkness, if you were the only one in your impure state, if you were the only one desperate enough to cry for help like that, in the world, Jesus would come after you, man. Isn't that good news? He's coming for you. This is what's different. This is the difference between true Christianity and all the other religions of the world. Folks, I, please, I don't mean to be offensive when I say this. Don't take it offensively. We can talk about it later if you really want to, and I'll explain what I'm about to say. I'm going to say it. Muhammad isn't coming for you. Buddha is not coming for you. Krishna is not coming for you. Joseph Smith is not coming for you, and the watchtower is not coming for you either. That's why Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because I'm the only one willing to pay the price to come for you. That's not for me. That's for Jesus because he's here and he's come for you. So this is the response of this man. Watch this, watch this. And I'm going to just close with this because I think we're really done here. He sees Jesus from a distance. And the man, even as tormented, as um, completely insane as he is, has the presence of mind to run to Jesus and worship him. That's what I want to tell you today. This is it. Like, religion tells you, get cleaned up so you can worship him. Get ready and prepared to go to church. And that's fine, that's good, oh, whatever. But some, the reality is the rest of the world lives in such despair and torment. Have you turned on the news lately? Have you watched? Like the other day I was watching this documentary that CBS did on Haiti. Do you know that Haiti... The, the place that got the earthquakes and the tsunamis and all that, right? You know that Haiti, for the past 30-plus years, has had nearly over 10,000 national government organizations, nonprofit, 
government organizations trying to help Haiti get out of its issues. And it's not done one bit of good. Skid Row, you can say the same exact thing for Skid Row. And the, and, and the lives that people live there because of the, the, the infrastructure that's been broken down, the corruption and political leadership, the dependency cycle, they are living in darkness. They are living in torment in many, many different ways. Turn on the TV and watch the pain of people. Jesus walks into that pain. And he says, I'm the hope and the light of humanity. And, I, and he hears our desperate cry. And even in the midst of that darkness, listen, you're never so far removed from one act of breakthrough worship. You're never so far from God. Some of you think, man, I just did it. I can't. I'm, sh I'm ashamed of what I did. I'm ashamed of what was done to me. I can't worship God like this. Listen, all you got to do is find Jesus who's coming after you. That should be pretty easy. And run to Jesus and fall on your knee. The word here is proskuneo. It's the word consistently used in the New Testament for worship. And it literally means to bow down, to fall down. This is what this guy does. Now, in this moment of clarity, he worships Jesus, but the next thing that happens is the demons start to speak, and the demons say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. I think the conversation was, went like this. The guy runs up, he falls down, and he begins worshiping Jesus, and Jesus, it says here, says to the evil spirit, Come out of him right now, you, now evil is also translated unclean spirit. You unclean spirit, come out. And the, the spirit doesn't come out. The spirit wants to have a conversation with Jesus. Actually, what's happening is the spirit wants to sucker punch Jesus. The spirit, this demon, decides, I'm going to see if I can get one up on Jesus. I'm going to use the superstitious belief that if we know the name of that person, that we can get control over that person. That's what he's doing. He says, what do you want with me? I'm going to name your name, Jesus. I know you, Jesus, son of the most high God. And Jesus says, what in the world do you think you're doing? You may think you know your name, but you have no power over me. I'm going to ask you your name. So what's your name? This is a power encounter. This is a wrestling match. He sucker punches Jesus. Jesus said, it's not working. What's your name? And he goes, Legion, Legion. You know, you got to add some Hollywood into it, you know, imagination, <laughs> sanctified imagination. Legion, you know what a legion was? When you said legion in that day and age, it struck fear in the hearts of people. Roman legions, anywhere from three, two to three to 6,000 Roman troops that were assigned to a town, to a city, to completely decimate that city and take it over for Rome. These soldiers would come through, they would kill the men and the children, rape the women, and they would come through and they'd say, we claim this territory for Rome, nothing you can do about it. And this man says, legion is my name, because I do exactly what the Romans would do, but I do it inside this man. I've destroyed his life. I've completely ripped his humanity to shreds. And Jesus, what am I going to do now? What are you going to do about it, Jesus? <laughs> they realize they are outmatched here. 
I don't care how big the demons you got in your life. Listen, we can, we can talk about demons as real, like real, and we believe they're real. But some of you guys have been demonized by your past. Some of you are struggling with things that torment you in the, in the, in the hours of the night when you're all alone. Some of you have phobias and fears. You don't even know where they came from. And you wonder why these fears are still there in your life, and they're kind of strange, maybe quirky, and you kind of just said, oh, yeah, that's just kind of how I am. No. In some way, shape, or form, we've all been tormented by legion. And Jesus stands there, and he says, the, 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 actually, the demons, they're like, we, we want to go and do the pigs. Jesus gives them permission to go into the pigs. And that's what happens. I'll get back to all the points in a sec. But a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And they went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank of the lake and were drowned. I don't know what the demons were thinking. Maybe they were thinking, you know, we would rather be in another host because, you know, they said, don't torment us. And torment for demons is to not have a habitation. Just put us in the pigs, Jesus. But even in the pigs, they died. You know, they got drowned. There's got no place to go. You know what I think was happening there? Jesus is saying to this man, why, why pigs? You know, pig, this is a bit, Jesus puts these guys out of business, right? I would hate to be that pig farmer. I'd watch my whole herd driving into the ocean, man. Jesus isn't just, just destroying a business here. What he's doing is he wants to show this man who desperately needs to be set free that, in fact, he has been set free. He's saying to this man, look, I'm going to let the demons go into these pigs, and you're going to see a dramatic expression of what has actually happened to you. I'm going to prove to you that you, in fact, are free. Watch this. Go. I don't know how pigs squeal, but, you know, it, you know, pig, that's a lot of good food right there for some of us, right? <laughs> that's a lot of good lechon, man. It's gone. So let me get back to some of these main points. Breakthrough worship begins with a moment of submission to Christ's authority. All it takes is a moment. Say, all it takes is a moment. It's just a moment. Even in your darkest, tormented state, even when you can't take one more bit of nagging from your wife, because sometimes I can feel like torment. <laughs> Just, kidding. Just kidding. Whatever it is that torments you, man, you can fall down and in a moment say, Jesus, I submit to your authority. And what Jesus does, I love this, is he intervenes and your truest self begins to be restored. Your right mind starts to come back. Because how many of you know you all is crazy? You all get crazy, man, when, they put, when somebody pushes the right trigger. You do. You know you do. I just prayed for somebody here this morning. They're like, I know. I get it. I, when you push that right button, when I'm driving on the 405 freeway for four or five hours, man, I lose it. I become someone who I really know that is not me. I'm no longer in my right mind. I'm crazy. Worshiping Jesus in the moment when you're on the 405 freeway. And you make the choice instead of hitting the gas pedal or instead of, you know, losing it, 
Will you make the choice to run to Jesus and worship Jesus? Jesus, I worship you. I submit to your authority. He begins to say, ah, good, good. Give him any room. Now, I'm going to set you free. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore you to your true self. Because we all live a bunch of false selves. Come on, you all fakers. I know you do. How are you doing? How are you doing today? Great, pastor. It's been wonderful. Yeah, right. I saw your Facebook page, man. I saw you this week on Facebook. It wasn't going that good for you. Fakers. Jesus says, if you worship me truly in that moment, I'll deliver you from the faker. And I'll restore you to your truest desire. This is what he does to this man. When, when the townspeople came on, they rushed in. They go, what has happened? Why did those pigs drown in the river, in the, in the lake? And they see the dude that they had ostracized, that they had tried to put chains on. They see him. It says, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. Somebody gave him clothes. And in his right mind. Love that. And then the guy, to prove that he is, in fact, in his right mind, it says... As Jesus was getting into the boat, so they told Jesus, Jesus, we don't want you here, man. Look what you did. You messed up our, you messed up our operation here. This was a, a multi-million you know, million dollar business or whatever. This was a lucrative business, and you messed it all up. So get out of here. People, isn't this so true of us sometimes? Like they valued swine over the deliverance of one man. That's what institutional religion can do for you. You start valuing the wrong thing and stop valuing people. Okay, so the guy says, Jesus, he's done. I'm done here. He starts getting into the boat. And look at this guy's real desire starts to come to the surface. It says, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus, don't leave me. I, let me come with you. You set me free. It says here in another translation, New King James, he begged that he might be with him. The desire to be with Jesus just floated right to the surface because he was now truly free. You know how you're truly free? That desire to be with Jesus starts to float to the surface. And you realize that the solution is really not in a formula, it is in a person. And you attach yourself to the person of Jesus and you'll become free and more free and free and more free each and every day. It doesn't happen all at once, maybe not like this guy as dramatic as this dude, but the desire floated to the surface. Breakthrough worship changes that desire. You know what, today after worshiping with you today, I want to be with Jesus. And we should all leave today. If the worship experience was really what it should be, it should be, I want to be with Jesus. I can't wait to be with you tomorrow, Jesus. I can't wait to be with you tonight, Jesus. I can't wait to spend time in your presence again, Jesus, like that. You see, it sets us free, not just from the things that torment us, it sets us free for becoming all that we were meant to be in him. And then watch what Jesus does. Jesus says to him, you want to follow me? Well, no. What? Hang on. This is the 13th disciple, Jesus. Come on, let him in the boat. Jesus goes, no. He says, Jesus did not let him. Well, what did he say? Go home. Tell the person next to you, go home. Not right now. Not right now. Not right now. Jesus commissions this guy to go back home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. 
The guy gets it. So the man went away, began to tell in the Decapolis, which is the region where he lived, ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and what, all the people were amazed. This is the first Gentile missionary in the gospel. You say, if I was one of the disciples, I, I would question that. I say, Jesus, you're going to send him. You're going to commission him now to be a missionary. You've turned the maniac into a missionary. I think you're jumping the gun. He needs, you know, he needs a little training. He needs a little more, you know, Bible, doesn't he? Right? Ari, doesn't he need DTS? He needs at least five months. <laughs> Jesus goes, no, he's got it. He has the experience and the story of what I did in his life, and that's all he needs to go home and be a missionary. Let me tell you something. Some of you may not relate to this, the extreme situation that this guy has, has been in, but you can relate to this commission. All you need is the story of what God has done in your life to begin be being a missionary to where God has sent you. And in most of our cases, he's sending us right back where we came from. Home. Where's home for you? People need Jesus there. No, better yet, people need to hear the story of what God has done in your life there. Now, if God hasn't done anything in your life, you got nothing to share. And you need some breakthrough worship. Because when you worship in this way, Jesus does stuff. And you got something to say. Come on. Go home. And share what God has done. That's how you know the worship was breakthrough worship. That we leave this place after a Sunday like this and we just go, we don't go, man, I was so blessed. But we got so full that I got to tell the story of what God taught me today. I got to tell the story of what God is doing in me today. Well, he ain't doing nothing. Just wait. Just hang on. He will do something. He's already done something. Go tell it. Go tell it. Go tell it. That's how you know it's a breakthrough. It's breakthrough worship because it's a moment where your heart turns and says, God, I submit to your authority in the midst of my torment, even though I feel so far gone from you right now. You're only a breakthrough worship bullet away. If you have one breakthrough worship bullet left, turn it towards Jesus. Worship him, and Jesus will respond. And he'll do something unexpected. He'll say, I know you want to follow me in this way, but I first want you to go home and be a witness. From maniac to missionary. Just like that. Didn't we tell you that earlier? You're a missionary. No, pastor, I feel more like a maniac. Have you seen me, man? Driving? Have you seen me when I get all alone and no one's looking? Have you seen me with my wife and kids when, I, that, when the trigger gets pulled and I lose my temper? Have you seen me, man? I'm a maniac. I'm a crazy man. I'm going to tell you, run to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Point your worship bullet his direction, man. Fire away. Hit me with your best shot. Fire away. Stand to your feet and let's pray. Man, do you feel, you feel equipped this morning? You feel inspired this morning? 
Jesus already done stuff in your life. I can hear bones cracking. What is up with that? <laughs> Team's going to come up. We're going to close with the song. And I want you to, to be encouraged that no matter how deep your darkness, no matter how you know, hopeless it may seem, that you're one worship, you're one breakthrough worship away from Jesus. And like he has been in the boat with you all this time. And it may seem dark, it may be desperate. It may not be you going through it. It may be a loved one that's going through dark, desperate, tormenting times. They're one, they're one worship bullet away. And Jesus can bring breakthrough to their lives. I don't want you to lose hope. We're going to keep fighting for that breakthrough. All right? So if you're ready, ready to fight with me, I want you to just lift your hands or put your hands out like you're going to receive a gift. And let's just receive the Holy Spirit at the end of this service today. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. I included, Lord ask you to fill this church, your people up today with hope, with faith, with encouragement. Some of us are in this dark situation. We can relate with this, uh, this guy who, um, who had been ostracized and alienated and brutalized and abused. And we can relate. We've got that story. We've got that, that thread running through our story. Thank you, Jesus, that it doesn't have to define our future. Thank you, Lord, that you have come for us, even if we're the only one and that we're one breakthrough worship away from experiencing your presence and your deliverance. So we receive that. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.